Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is Dave Clark, Beth Mantle. Hello. You want to say hi, Beth? Hi, everyone. <laughs> we're going to do a I new thing. I didn't know we were introducing ourselves I today. I know. I was not prepared. I, well, Dave said hi, so I wanted to. Okay, I'll do this and again. Then, hey. And Mickey, and Mickey Turner. Uh, good afternoon. <laughs> Hello. So uh, we come to you uh, in, in a weird place, I think. The Sounders are coming off a pretty annoying loss to the Timbers. And I call it annoying and not like maddening in a way because... No, no, it was maddening, uh, but I'm not like disheartened by it, really, even though they have now gone winless and four straight at home, which is tying the longest winless run they've ever had uh, in MLS at home. They only have one point in those four games, and yet somehow they're still sitting atop the supporter shield uh, or the Western Conference standings. They're still seven points behind New England in the supporter shield standings, and believe it or not, they're actually still on pace to have their best ever season by points. And this is a wild thing. I, when I, I actually dug into this today and so, yes, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very frustrated by that game. I'm, I'm, I, it was a maddening game. They hit the post three times. Like there were some people that said, well, that game could have easily been six to two again. And I don't know that it could have easily been six to two to, again, but they had six really close. They came close to scoring six times like that i think that's fair uh but it was it was just a wild game and you got the sense you know around the 85th minute or so that it just didn't seem to be breaking their way i think the 2-0 score line was a little unkind uh the timbers only had two shots on frame both of them were goals both of them were uh pretty good chances that were completely created by the sounders ineptitude on defense something that they have avoided really doing all year like they have not had two giveaways uh in in the of the kind that they had in this one and credit to the timbers for taking advantage but uh, i'll start i'll just do a little round table to get the mood dave let's start with you what's what how are you feeling after this game it's weird the the bus ride home i was like somehow i had had fun throughout the day and that overwhelmed me more than the the two nil loss that was completely the fault of the team I follow. Like for some reason I was there, like I, I pre-gamed and then got to the stadium at like three ten. So I was there for the whole damn thing. And I came away from that essentially seven hour event, really happy despite the loss, which was a, a an odd place to be. So uh, 
Whereas if it was a normal Sounders game, I would have been like, well, that sucked and probably rage tweeted through it. Like uh, yeah, most of our followers did. Uh, but instead I, I was happier more than I was sad. So um, a confusing, a confusing end to what was a great, great day. Beth. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm compartmentalizing the day into the rain game and the Sounders game. Cause like the rain match was so good and so fun. And I loved all of it. But, like, the Sounders was, that was just so bad. But, like, the rain could barely make up for that. And so I've decided to separate them in my mind. Sounders is gone. I'm just thinking about Megan Rapino. That's really where I'm at. How about you, Mickey? Uh, yeah, annoyed, uh, I think, is the, is the best way to put it. Um, and, and not with the entire day. Obviously, I was there for the uh, uh, rain game, which was just entertaining on it in its own right. Uh, you know, pomp and circumstance aside, it was just a, a fun game to watch. And the Sunders game was not that, uh, particularly in the first half, which kind of killed the mood yes. for me for the for the rest of the game. I mean, the, the, that first half was was about as dire as I've seen them in quite some time. Um, and you know, again, they did make up for it in the second half. Uh, you know, but again, that was overwhelmed by them being unable to finish, and then giving up two you know just terrible goals. As as Dave rightly points out, it was essentially the Sounders own ineptitude on defense, which, which cost them uh, that game. So, uh, you know, I think everyone's had good points here that, you know, you kind of have to compartmentalize the, the day between the experience, the Pacific Northwest experience, which was, was a really cool thing. The rain uh, putting out a, uh, a good performance and then uh, forgetting the last half of the day uh, even happened. Well, I think you all bring up a, a fair point about the kind of dual nature of, of this, of this experience. And I, I kind of wrote about that the other day. And I think my overwhelming feeling from this is intellectualizing it this way. And it's in five months, certainly in five years, I think the thing that we're going to remember about this event was the rain, not necessarily the result of the rain game, but the whole rain experience of it, like that they showed up and they played finally at Lumen Field and the crowd was into it. They were amped. And it's not at all. I suppose in five years will be determined by like what the trajectory ends up really being. But right now it, it feels like all of a sudden uh, the rain, you can see a future that is much brighter than it, than it looked like, you know, before Sunday, because I think we saw that Seattle soccer fans will come out to see the rain and, They'll come out in record numbers. And, you know, I know Portland fans are trying to diminish the the validity of that record. But, you know, from where I was sitting, 25,000 plus people were glued to the game, were cheering as loudly as they would cheer for a Sounders game. You know, you look at the Braum end and that was packed. People were into it. People had fun. They were entertained. There was good soccer. And yeah, the, the Sounders lost and it's a, it's a really frustrating game. And I'll be honest, I woke up the next morning still mad and frustrated about the Sounders game. But I do think that that, that's gonna, that emotion will fade. And what's going to really be the lasting thing from this is kind of what the rain are able to do with this opportunity and what we're willing to kind of like believe is possible for the rain. Because I think that that's what it really showed is that, you know, if, if we put resources and energy and uh, support behind the rain, you know, the people are there to support are, are going to get behind it. And it's just about kind of putting it together in the right package. And, you know, I, the next day I talked to Bill Predmore about 
some of the stuff that's going on with the Tacoma soccer stadium. And I think there's uh, potentially some exciting news coming down. You know, he, I don't know that he's actually seen the feasibility study, but uh, that's apparently going to be coming out in a few months and, or no, a few weeks, sorry. And, uh, and that might, and, and if everything goes well with that, we might be looking at a future where the rain have a 10,000 seat stadium in Tacoma and they still play occasional games in Seattle. And all of a sudden that looking like a model franchise in the NWSL. Yeah. I think I like that, uh, that potential, uh, you know, outcome for, for the rain, because uh, at least in the, you know, the short term, uh, I'm not sure that Lumen Field is, is particularly uh, you know, logi- logistically feasible for the attendance that they would get on a game in game out basis. Um, um, and maybe it is, and maybe we're underselling them a little bit, but just assuming, you know, seeing where they're, they've been at in Tacoma uh, and I've been to the last few games there. Uh, the, the crowds have been solid, but you know, hardly sp- uh, spectacular. And so maybe if they are able to kind of grow as a regional team uh, incorporating both uh, the King and Pierce County markets, uh, then maybe you've got a good thing going where you played the majority of your games uh, in Cheney. And then you have a couple of those special event type games in Seattle where you can pop a big crowd. San Jose does the same thing um, in uh, MLS when they, you know, they'll play the galaxy at Stanford and that game, you know, you know, knocks out 50,000 people. So uh, that may be uh, something that they're able to do and makes a bit more financial sense. Um, it makes them a bit more financially viable as well. And, you know, allows them to invest uh, and grow and grow the team from there. And, you know, Tacoma could certainly use a uh, facility like that um, down there. So uh, I think, you know, while I'm sure it's, you know, nice to dream about potentially having the rain up at Lumen full time, uh, this seems like a better in, intermediate step to long-term step um, uh, to grow them in a responsible way. And I'll go a step further. I, I, I think that playing at a packed 10,000 seat stadium every week and uh, playing occasional games in Seattle is frankly a better product than if they were to get 13 or 14,000 a game even if that was they could reliably get 13 or 14,000 at Lumen Field because you know Lumen Field I think can feel you know like you go back to the League's Cup match and there was 17,000 there for for that game and it and it was fun I think it was it was good but I think that's like kind of the minimum number that you need for that to feel like a real event there because it's just such a it's such a big stadium and in order and it's like you can you can kind of like manage it and and put people where you can but I don't know. I would much rather see a packed 10,000 seat stadium than, than like kind of like spreading out 12,000 people around, around Lumen field. And I think that probably makes more financial sense too, for the, for the rain. But uh, I don't know. Anyone else have any more thoughts on, on the rain part of this? I think it was a, you know, one of the the coolest moments for that for me was actually outside of the the match. I, pregame for the the Sounders portion of the experience, the introduction of the Olympians. Mm. And I thought it was really important that the the region got behind Quinn uh, as much, if not more, than they did behind Pino and Lavelle. Well, she's the gold medalist. They are the gold medalist. uh, The the first uh, out and and non-binary medalist in Olympic history. And the cheer that they received was excellent and i thought that that was just a a very special moment i think to show um that 
sometimes things are bigger than soccer. Um, Quinn's um, story is one of those things that's bigger than soccer. Like the $26,000 and change raised for, for the Ray Foundation throughout the day was also uh, bigger than soccer because that's going to help a lot of kids uh, enjoy their life um, a little bit more through their right to play. So those were kind of two of the things that, you know, uh, non-soccer things that uh, were kind of rain related because uh, that, that 26,000 is going towards a, um, a second Tacoma uh, mini court and futsal field. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked for both of those items. Um, you know, they, they probably contributed to my um, ho-hum attitude towards the Sounders result. Yeah, I think it's there was a lot of positives to find, I think, in in that evening. And I think it's also worth pointing out that this was all done in the shadow of a pandemic. And I we can I don't necessarily need to get into the like whether this was a good idea or a bad idea. But I think we can all agree that the numbers were probably suppressed by everyone being very aware that there is an active pandemic going on right now. And people were probably certainly were more reluctant, I think, to bring their kids to the game. And, you know, it's not at all hard to imagine that if this was a normal summer event, like if they do this again next summer, presuming that we're actually on the other side of this pandemic, it's not at all hard for me to imagine 60,000 people showing up for the Sounders and 30,000 or more showing up for the rain. And, you know, at some point, I do think that what, like, I would love to see something like this continuing. I think that for it to reach its full potential, it really should be the Sounders one day and the Rain another day. I think that turning it into a weekend long celebration where they each get a chance to be the headliner essentially of maybe a, a day long festival that goes on, you know, outside of the, outside of the field. But I think that that like, you can see these potentials kind of lining up and I don't know. I, I think I was pretty skeptical of the festival part of this. I, I, I was like actually talking to some people about like, I don't know who almost any of these bands are. I listened to a lot of them. I would, they weren't really my thing, but man, people were into it. So who cares what I thought of them, right? Like the people, like certainly the black tones, like the video of the black tones concert that went on before the Sounders game, that looked like a, an actual like concert. Like, I don't know how many times they've played in front of crowds that were that big and that into what they were doing. Uh, maybe they've played a bunch of them, but that was, that was going off. Uh, yeah, I'd imagine that this is the first bit of live music that a lot of people have seen since the start yes. of the pandemic. Like, yeah. I know I haven't been to a concert since then. Um, so I imagine that contributed to the excitement around that. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite discovery, because I think one of the coolest things about a festival where you, I only knew one of the artists beforehand, is I like to find a new a new band, a new act. And Fadilac is... Uh, hit me in all the right places like the slap bass solo that went on for like three minutes i'm all about that vibe and so discovering them was great and then there was a a two-piece uh, act on the east concourse side that I, I dug and i need to look up who it was i remember the time but they were just a uh, a guitarist and a saxophonist no lyrics just kind of this this mellow like um thing that probably Kenny G would be if he came out today rather than 40 years ago kind of thing. It was, it was just mellow, easy listening right on the concourse. I got to hear like my seats, the tunnel basically is right next to that. So I heard it and I was like, I need to check that out. So I got down out of my seats and listened for a little bit um, while waiting in the very long lines for 
food. But um, those were the two, like discovering uh, new bands is, is pretty awesome. And for 20 of those bands, they were basically, you know, Black Tones um, have been held up by the club for the whole season. Um, but the other 20 got bright light shined on them yeah. for the um, tens of thousands of people for basically the first first time ever. Uh, you know, it's one thing to be on, um, you know, kind of a, a local session. It's a totally another thing to like Fadillac to be opening. Lady A, my bad. Lady A has been uh, fairly popular for a while, uh, played pre-rain pre game. But to be in that kind of amphitheater aspect that they had in the, the North Plaza, um, the, those acts, just what a thrill for them to, to have thousands of people outdoors where uh, things kind of make some sense these days. Um, love that. And I love that, you know, if they do it next year, there's plenty of other themes uh, musically to go around this, uh, this market that, you know, we, we did the, the Jimi Hendrix experience, uh, you know, what are we doing? Uh, what do we do next year? You know, we get some Macklemore experience. Well, uh, <laughs> well, as long as we get Sir Mix a lot, that's all I'm. Uh, yeah, we, about. Uh, this is... but I think there's you know, there's there's a lot of potential here, and I think they may have stumbled onto something that you know maybe they uh, had no idea was possible. And I think you know they certainly can expand it, expound it. Uh, you know, get some more you know you know food, uh, a little bit more food diversity. Really make it a two day event, which I think is a really good idea. Um, kind of rotate the uh, the genre of the bands as well. So, you know, we're obviously a, a soccer podcast, but there is something to be said for uh, kind of ex expanding uh, you know, the sound of being able to expand the reach a little bit and the rain being able to uh, get into the market a little bit more um, and using music to do that is certainly uh, a good way to go. And yeah, so I think there's a lot of potential here and they, I think they definitely stumbled onto something that they could do every year in a, you know, really promote it have a week long a weekend long festival and you know you've got some soccer on the end of it yeah i, I also think... if you lose if you lose the game during hosting if you have all this event around it it's clear that even the people most dedicated to soccer will find something else to talk right. about because i think part of the reason that the four of us have kept talking about the not sounders is because uh it was all there and done well and uh it made it easy to forget um, which I, I think is kind of funny because we're four of the people who spend more time than reasonable thinking about soccer yeah. every single week. What if we do the two day thing next time? The rain headline one, the Sounders headline the other, but Defiance opens for the Sounders. What then? Wow. Three soccer games in a weekend. Now we're now now we're now we're really pushing the boundaries of what uh, I think it's possible. It, it is definitely. I think it's it's certainly possible. Uh, Do like would, a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening kind of thing. Oh oh, hmm. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of possibilities there. I, I do think it's worth addressing some of the complaints. So there were some, I think, legitimate complaints that sound like people had to wait a really long time if they wanted to use the in out. Uh, uh, abilities that they were that kind of were very late coming i don't know that the sounders were totally prepared for that although maybe that was why they were reluctant to have re-entry in the first place as they were worried about That's this sort idea. of log jam situation but it's not like the food options were not nearly as plentiful as you would probably like for a for an all-day event like that 
so there was just a lot of complaints about lines. And I think those are things that ideally can be worked out. I, I think we all should give some grace, uh, no understanding that this was a one of a, you know, this is a first of its kind event and staffing is hard everywhere in every industry right now. So I don't know that they had the capacity to staff up quite as much as they, they really needed to, but I, uh, I also don't know that the lines would be shorter. I've been to bumper shoot. I've been to Mary Moore for yeah, multiple events enough. there. You, you know what you do at, at events like that? You wait in line a yeah, lot. That's like, true. That's I yeah. I, I think yeah, I waited the, two hours once to see presidents of the United States at bumper shoot an event that has gone on for 20 some odd years. Uh, yeah. It, it, the lines at a combo music festival slash soccer game are to be expected because music festivals and soccer games both have lines. Like it's just, yeah. it's a reality. Not, it, I don't, it could have been better. Sure. But I don't know that we could have expected it to be much better. That's fair. Uh, I, I will say that I think that there probably could be a little bit more foresight put into, you know, planning for food options at the very least. Uh, like that, I guess there was a food truck, which is like kind of a hilarious thing to say. Uh, 45,000, you know, and like I know a lot of these booths are closed for all Sounders games, and the Sounders have limited capacity to open up food kiosks that they don't necessarily run. Uh, so I don't put that all on the Sounders, but I, I do think that probably that's an area where they could put in a little bit more like, uh, effort to make sure that this is planned out and and i don't know how long this probably came together relatively quickly uh all things considered but we don't need to dwell on that uh i do want to talk a little bit about the game though and let's start we we i do think we i think there's some something to be said about the game we don't need to go too deep into it but you know we talked about the calamitous defensive errors that uh led to the two goals and you know, Stephen Cleveland, I think, has been exceptional for what we expected. And he's been he's had to play a lot. And if the Sounders were going to finish out the season with Stephen Cleveland in goal, I don't think that I would suddenly be panicking. But I do think that we saw some of his weaknesses exposed in this one. And on both goals, and there was a third one that he almost gave up as well where he came out of his, or he just misplayed the ball for one way or another. And two the two that he, the two goals where he came out, I don't think it was a hundred percent his fault on either one, but on the first, on both of them, if he's going to come out of his box that far, he has to win the ball. I don't know that he needs to come out of his box on both of those the way that he did, but if you're going to come out, you can't get hung out like he did on both of those. Uh, I don't know. If we're assigning blame, I think probably more of the blame on the first one goes to Yamar because he hit a very poorly weighted back pass that put Stephen Cleveland in a very bad position. On the second one, I think that one probably is a little bit more on Cleveland, but Yamar certainly could have done better at controlling that ball and not letting uh, Mora pick it off of him the way he did. That said, where are you guys on Stephen Fry, assuming he's fit? Like, does he just step right into the starting? Like, do you want, if, if he's fit and ready to play, do you want him playing against Minnesota United, which is the next game on September 11th? Yeah, for me, I think you've gotten, you've gotten what you could um, at a Stephen Cleveland, at least uh, for this year, as far as his development is concerned. Um, and then Fry 
again, he didn't lose his job because of poor form. He was he was injured, and you know whether or not you you subscribe to the uh, starter doesn't lose his uh, role between, uh, because of injury. I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that you know uh, Cleveland's performance, while solid, does not rise to what Fry gives you on a week in week out basis, and you know his uh, limitations. Uh, uh, Cleveland's that uh, that is are are something that at this point you uh, you don't have to live with, and so you can bring Fry back in again with the caveat that he is game fit. Dutra talked about some of the uh, things that he ha- he will have to work on as he gets back into game shape, uh, as far as like you know anticipating balls coming out of the box, uh, you know uh, you know just you know kind of the things that you need games to get uh, back in the rhythm of. Um, but again, the short answer is, yeah, I think you if Fry has his job back, assuming fitness and form um, and all other things being equal. And I think that's wh- that's certainly where they're going to go. And Cleveland certainly could have made things a bit more difficult for that decision making process. But I think, you know, this last game just, you know, it, I think he, he kind of made their decision for him. I would feel terrible if this was Stephen Cleveland's last game of the season. Like, that's just not the way you want to go out. Um, But also, I think if Steph is healthy and fit, like, you have to put him in goal. Also, I think doing it earlier rather than waiting so that he's fully ready and integrated for the playoffs is probably important, just thinking more long-term. But I also, I do think it's really frustrating because earlier in the season, we were having a bit of a laugh about Stefan Cleveland coming really far out and like trying to head the ball outside of his box. And like, like three or four times now this has happened. And I'm just, I'm a bit surprised that now months later that we're seeing it pop up again. Um, So yeah, that's just my bone to pick. Yeah, I'm at the bet there. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I I hope that they give... Cleveland at least one more run out, whether that's league, leagues cup or late in the season um, for, for two reasons. One, he's a better keeper than he showed against Portland. And two, we, I kind of want him to show that because he's also a better keeper than probably 15 to 20 um, team starters right now. And that dude deserves to get paid and a way to help him get paid is to have everybody in the league's last memory, not be, um, that last goal against, but yeah. some, some other performance. I feel like it's important not to have a super short-term memory with this because like two weeks ago, the last Portland game, we yeah. were lauding him for keeping us in the game the entire first half where he stood on his head. Yeah. So like just because he had one or a few poor showings through the season where he got thrust into the starting position unexpectedly and has done a stellar job, honestly, like, I think yeah. he's done. He's done great for what we needed him to do and what we expected him to do. Um, so yeah, I would like to think at the I very think- least he gets. He kind of gets a lot. He's allowed to finish out League's Cup. You know, he started it. Uh, no reason he shouldn't be able to play in the in the game against Santos Laguna. And if they get to the final, I think that should be his game too. But what were you going to say, Mickey? Yeah, I was just going to say. You know, as Beth pointed out, you know, this isn't the first time he's kind of come out, uh, gone on a walkabout, um, as it were. But again, some of that is due to, you know, I think the tactics that have frustrated the Sounders a bit this year with teams lumping balls um, over the top going long and the center backs not necessarily doing a great job of dealing with that, which forces him to make a decision. Um, you know, typically when he's in in the box, he's been very good for the Sounders. I can't think of any particular uh, bad games he's had in the, in that respect it's been mostly when 
you know, defenders are one-on-one or chase with it, got their backs to goal and are running with, uh, with attackers. And he makes a decision. That's typically where we've seen some, some, you know, questionable decision-making. So that's something he can certainly clean up with more experience in the league. But again, this, uh, this all goes to say that you, you just have to think that Fry is the guy that they're going to want to get back in um, as best said, if for no other reason to get him fully game fit and integrated uh, for the playoff run. Yeah, for, for context, I, I, I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, FB Ref uh, has a stat that they call sweeper keeper stats, where they basically log uh, defensive plays that the goalkeeper makes that aren't saves or crosses or things like that that are just sort of like this other thing that require movement. And Steph's averaging something like 0.8 per game, and, uh, and Fry last you know has never averaged more than 0.5 per game so if you're wondering if it's striking you that he's much more active uh in that way than Stefan Fry was it's because he is almost twice as active in that way uh which you know good and bad it's a it's you know you, you lose some you certainly when you when those go bad it looks worse than than virtually anything else a goalkeeper can do but uh I I do think he's been on the on the balance extremely good and it would be a shame if he doesn't get another game, but I'm also okay with Steph Fry. I, I also wouldn't mind seeing Steph Fry get some run out at Defiance. Uh, that might be a good mid ground. I don't know how likely that is, but I, the I, Sunday game would be the one that seems most likely because they host Phoenix Rising, an incredible side with nearly MLS quality attackers. Um, and so if it's going to happen, that would basically put him on essentially that week to week cycle that. Um, is typical of MLS rather than Thursday night, he'd have another 10 days before he played again. So that wouldn't necessarily get him ready. So maybe the Sunday afternoon game against Phoenix, if you give him one defiance game would make some sense to just kind of plus, you know, I've been hyping defiance and and them actually being good. They're still not as anywhere close to what Phoenix is like Phoenix is a tier or two above them. So it's a, Playing around with uh, that game, um, one that's not expected to be a victory, might be the exact one to uh, to take those kinds of chances on. Yeah, so the other player that's potentially coming back into the lineup, and he's apparently been healthy enough to make the bench the last two games. He was healthy enough to play in the All-Star game. Neither game, the last two games when he was available off the bench, really set up for him to be a major participant, so I'm not surprised that he didn't play. But Nuhu looks like he could be back like I, I, my expectation is that he'll be back and maybe even starting for uh, the Sounders when they play next uh, on against Minnesota United again on September 11th. Uh, where do you all feel in terms of his, should his spot be his to like, like Mickey said, he was a best 11 defender uh, when, when we last saw him, it's, you know, it's been a few months now since he's played, but should he just walk back into his starting spot? Uh, you should run back into a starting spot at this point. Um, he, I, I think one of the things he does is mitigates what has been a flaw for the Sounders, which I talked about a little earlier, which is teams lumping the ball over the top um, mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to get one-on-one with defenders. Uh, no one's going to do that uh, against Nuhu and be able to get behind him. And if they do, he's certainly able to re- uh, recover. And then you've also got his physical um, attributes, uh, not many people are botting him off the ball. Um, he cures a lot of 
what has been a problem for the Sounders since he went out. Um, you didn't really see that prior to him getting injured. Um, and there's a good reason for that because he was a top level defender uh, before he got injured. So I think, yeah, he, he, what, for whatever reason that they've not been able to get him onto the field game state, um, just trying to get him back into fitness. If he's fit to give you 60 to 75 minutes, you start him. Um, and then you can use your depth at that point uh, to, to spell him if you need to. But I think at this point they need what he, what he brings uh, as far as his skill set is concerned. Um, so he's, he's got to go back in. Yeah. I would agree that Nuhu immediately makes this team better um, and not playing him uh, would be, a, I don't know if I would call it a mistake, but it just wouldn't make much sense. I think at this point you have to get him on the field. If he comes back anything like he was up until that March 30th um, game, the Sounders have two players that are defensive defender of the year quality. Uh, and so they need to figure that out if they have, if they have the new who, who literally looked as good as any defensive player has in the history of this league for the first two months of the season. Uh, yeah. he. It's hard to overstate how good he was and how good the Sounders were playing defensively during that, that period. You know, they, I think he played eight games and, and in those eight games, I don't think the Sounders gave up any goals from open play. And that, I think that streak continued for a little while after, but it certainly hasn't been the case uh, recently. And new who does, I think, fix a lot of those Sounders defensive problems. I don't, those Sounders are not having huge problems defensively, but to the degree that they are, you know, new who I think cleans those up and, and it would be crazy to me to not see him in the starting lineup. I, I, I don't know if it's automatically uh, Shane O'Neill that goes right off. I think O'Neill was probably the Sounders' best defender in the in their last game, but uh, maybe it's an, a convenient thing that Ariaga is going to be coming off of uh, potentially playing in three World Cup qualifiers. So you know maybe it makes sense to give him a rest. And best case scenario, he's probably not going to get back to the Sounders until a day before the game. So maybe it, it's simple for this one, but it will be interesting to see how Schmetzer plays that long term. Uh, the other long-term question that is going to be able to be asked at some point, maybe not this next game, but Leo Chu uh, was introduced. Uh, it's it's kind of funny to think that for the things that have gone wrong and right for the Sounders, it's good to remind ourselves that they've got a best 11 goalkeeper, a potentially best 11 center back, and a player with huge upside uh, who have not been playing at all uh, recently. And Leo Chu showed up. He, uh, I'm told that the idea of unzipping the jacket and putting on the on the jersey was completely his idea. He wanted to do that. He wanted to kiss the badge. He he wanted to show how excited he was to be here. I I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what he's going to do in MLS. Like I've seen the highlights. I've I've never watched him see a whole game. But I don't know. Do any of you have have expectation setting you want to do in terms of when we might see him contributing to the team? I know I personally would not be shocked if he didn't start a game just because like integrating him, I think it's going to be a little bit more complicated. But where where do you all fall on that one? Well, I guess the question we have to ask is, is what kind of formation are the Sounders going to you know, run out at this point. Cause I think I can be talked into what they've been running over the last month and a half or so this three, four, two, one, or however you want to formate. I, it's not something I'm, I'm a fan of at this point anymore. And maybe it's just because uh, 
Ladero has been slow to reintegrate into that formation. Um, maybe it's because Brad Smith has been pretty pedestrian um, over the last, you know, over the entire season, but in particular over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, maybe it's because Alex uh, Rodan's had a bit of a dip in form here um, as well. Um, and maybe it's because we all expected them to really stick with a two forward formation. And we really haven't seen that um, for most of the season. So I think for me, maybe um, his best role in whatever they do is not going to be in this three, four, two, one, because that doesn't seem to make the best use of his talents to me. Um, so maybe they go uh, to some, some hybrid of what uh, they have been running, maybe get uh, Will Bruin on, on the field as well. And then you've got some speed with Chu on the outside um, as well. And so I think I, I would like to see him certainly starting or not starting, but, you know, getting onto the field sooner rather than later. They, they've got about uh, 10 days now to get him kind of integrated. Um, and maybe he doesn't start in Minnesota uh, if he is what they think he is, but at least he's got some time. And yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to, to like potentially about what he can bring, but it's difficult to say, obviously, because, you know, to be honest, none of us have really seen much of him, uh, you know, prior to him coming in. So uh, we'll, we'll have to be a little bit patient, I think. Yeah, I mean, I obviously know nothing about how he plays. Um, that's just how it is right now. Um, but I did tweet at, at him asking if he wanted to be besties with Sounder at Heart, and he said, sure, which no idea if he knows we're besties that. confirmed. Yeah. We're besties. It's official now. So I'm his biggest fan. Go yeah, to. <laughs> but also, this does bring up the question of we're getting Leo Shu, we're going to get him on the field eventually, but are we also going to see Jordan Morris soon? Because I think that also might play into how we see Leo Shu getting on the field. So just some food for thought. I don't have an answer. Yeah. Yeah, when, you, when your potential like November subs are Leo Shu and Jordan Morris uh, late in the game, uh, I don't know that you worry about formations. You have like, you know, a nice double sub at the 75th minute with the, the U22 and then the last year's MVP candidate. Um, you, when you talked about missing a couple best 11 guys, we've also basically not had Nico Ladero, the MVP candidate from last year at all. Right. Um, and Jordan Morris has that potential for that final month of the season to be a sub um the the team that struggled to have enough depth due to injury and absence there for uh, several weeks suddenly looks like the deepest team in the history of um the sounders and and up there on par with like those 1996 clubs that had essentially 18 guys who were at a world cup um it's a it's it's about to become a very very good team and um it's it's weird we're in this down cycle because of the home stretch uh those past four home games but at the same point it's a team that's on pace to have the most points ever while yeah. also adding so much talent that their sixth center back their six and their six or fifth and sixth center mids um all of a sudden start to not make the game day roster and have to go to tacoma to get minutes. Yeah. You kind of alluded to this. I think Ladero's potential improvement is probably the Sounders best, best path to 
sort of getting this season where we think it can go, which is frankly to contend for an MLS cup and, and maybe still contend for supporter shield. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not totally convinced that they, that's really within their, that's certainly not under their control. They're going to need some help to make that but what happen. What if they had just like not dropped all of their points at home? Right. Then what? <laughs> right. Not get one of 12. Yeah. Then where the, would we be? I know that the Sounders are on, like I don't, we don't need to. We don't have a whole lot of time to dig into this too much, but it's it's kind of remarkable the form the Sounders are showing at home, and especially with how it contrasts to the their away form. They're on a record breaking away form pace. Uh, like they they're on. If they continue this, they'll they'll break the MLS record for most points on the road in the season. Uh, and at home, they're extremely pedestrian. They're on pace to have one of their uh, worst home records of ever, and. Uh, I don't know. You add it all up and it turns out it's pretty good still, but uh, yeah, I think Nico Ladero probably is the key to turning this around. You know, I think we all got very excited when he came onto the field against uh, or his second appearance. And he had that amazing goal against uh, Tigris. And I think we had, I, I know I had talked myself into thinking, okay, he's back. Like this is, this is Nico Ladero. And certainly in the last two games where he started, I think we've been reminded that no, he's got some work to do. Like he's, He's rusty. He doesn't have the motor that we've grown used to him having. He's not able to influence the game the way that he was able to influence the game pre-injury. And these are all like understandable things. And maybe we have to be a little bit more patient with him. I think in some ways, the most important thing that happened on Sunday was that he played 90 minutes and not that he was good for those 90 minutes, but that he was able to get through 90 minutes. And I, I have to think that Brian probably thought like knew that he could have added more value by pulling him off short term and putting on, you know, Freddie earlier or Nico Benize earlier. Uh, but he probably thought the long-term payoff of, of pushing him to 90 minutes is going to pay bigger dividends. And, and frankly, the Sounders did a fine job creating chances, whether or not Ladero was out there or not. Uh, you know, they, they had several really good looks at, at goal. They just didn't finish them frustratingly and unless highly. Nico Ladero was out there moving the goalposts around right. I don't think it was necessarily his fault that we didn't score any goals right I would totally agree with that so I think I guess the the long way to tie a bow on this episode is there was a lot to be positive about in a broad sense from Sunday I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about where this season can still go and maybe let's just forget about what happened against Portland yeah, uh, what happened? I, I don't. I, I don't. Know, I don't know either. Well, I don't know what the score was. I had to have the the match from May explained to me before we recorded this, so I'm certainly going to forget this match in like <laughs> three days. I'll I'll forget that we played it. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. And let's let's leave it there. Uh, I think that's that's a good place to to end this one. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off uh, for the Center Heart Podcast and Dave Clark, Beth Mantle, and Mickey Turner. Uh, We will see you next time.